transition of the global revolution, or should I say, global impact the revolution. That's right, for the first time in almost two years, we are covering some impact wrestling on this show. That's amazing. Uh, I didn't know if we were going to do that again, but you know, circumstances may have changed. We're going to check out a little bit and see how it goes. We're also going to be talking about some WXW today. We're going to bring all this cool stuff to you because we are cool and we are bringing it to you because it's under your radar. And uh, we're going to do it together. I do say we because I could not, would not, should not do this by myself. I am joined by a lovely, wonderful man. He's my friend and he should be yours. He's called Jeff. Jeff, say hello. Hello, everybody out there in podcast and internet land. Jeff here, Miz fan there, WXW and Impact Wrestling Miz fan. What is this? What's going on? I thought we left that in us years ago, but um, as Sammy Callahan said on the show, we were going to watch. Do not adjust your monitors. Do not change your television screens. Um, this is indeed us doing Impact one more time. A uh, bit of a new regime in Impact, from what I understand. A lot of new things going on there. Uh, it was January sixth, their homecoming show, actually done out of the TNA Asylum, which was a uh, just sort of an interesting and cool premise. And of course, as mentioned, we're going to be talking about WXW this time, their dead end event, one of their uh, shows in between um, the beginning of the new year and uh, 16 karat gold. So got a whole bunch of fun, interesting, uh, exciting things on the slate this week for the global revolution, or as Ms. Fan did indeed say, global impact, the revolution. One time only coming back. Who boy. It's a major blast from past to be sure, but, uh, we had no Chikara, we only had one WXW show, and just looking around, yeah, it, Impact, uh, you know, we'll talk about this as we go, I'm sure, but man, it, it's not even really the same company, I think, that it was when we uh, we quit when it kind of was taken back over by Jeff Jarrett, and they had like, uh, like Bruce Pritchard came around, and a bunch of other, you know, it was just, it was really bad. The guy who plays uh, <laughs> uh, Zeb Coulter, I no longer remember what his... Uh, Dutch Mantel, yeah. Dutch sure. Mantel came out and like said some weird kayfabe and like anti TNA things, despite the fact that at the time two of us had been pretty big into TNA and TNA Impact. So them sort of coming in and raining on our parade, literally raining on our parade on the company that at the time we really enjoyed, just left a very sour taste in our mouths, and that led us to. Uh, I don't want to say greener pastures, but different pastures to be sure as we uh, shifted the show from having a lot of impact talk to basically having zero impact talk <laughs> as we went to places like Japan and Germany and Mexico and England and uh, Canada and just anywhere else we could go and anywhere else we could find um, professional wrestling done in a way that we enjoyed and we had a fun time talking about. Because that has always been the goal here on the Global Revolution, Global Impact Revolution, Impact Revolution, whatever the show has been known as. <laughs> At least in my experience since I've been on here, we have been trying to find the things that we like, that we enjoy, and to talk about those things. To talk about those promotions, those wrestlers, those matches, those moments that we actually will sit there and watch and have a good time watching. So when Impact did that a few years ago, when it, start, when it stopped being something we uh, want to watch and could enjoy watching, we've moved on. But as Ms. Fan said, it's a little bit of a different company now, and we're definitely going to get into that once we start covering this homecoming show. But it had a very different vibe, um, a very, you know, very different roster from what it had 
uh, back in the day. A couple of familiar faces in there, a couple of people we'll recognize, not only from Impact, but from uh, other places. And, um, yeah, it's just it, it's very different. It was cool to kind of come back to the company and see what they were up to. And, yeah, I, I just think it's a very uh, positive change in general. Um, maybe not necessarily everything, but at, at least it felt like something that – I would not have a problem watching at least on a uh, like time to time basis. Like mm-hmm. like this was this was way more enjoyable for me. Very much so, yeah. I mean, we covered Impact pretty religiously from 2013 till the Anthem changeover in 2017, and for the most part, you know, we enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, there was some up and down in that period, but uh, even in their down periods, I thought they were rather underrated. So yes, mm. when the switchover happened and. Uh, they just started radically uh, crapping all over everything that had happened before. They started bringing in bloody Alberto Del Rio to be their new champion and all this baloney. We we were just quickly done. I'll never forget uh, just, like, the sinking horror of that first Anthem episode. It ranks <laughs> among the worst programs of wrestling I've ever watched, and I watched every WCW paper view in the Vince Russo era, so uh, I do not say that. got some experience. (laughs) I absolutely do. Um, So yeah, uh, this this was really completely different. You know, there's no no Alberto, there's no Jeff Jarrett having any kind of power. Um, There's nobody coming out and trying to talk about the WWE or, you know, constantly make references to people who don't work in the company anymore. None of this weird stuff that really turned us away. So, yeah, the roster is totally different. The presentation is totally different. It's like a literally different company. Mm -hmm. And specifically, there was no – because this is a big thing I 100% remember was them coming out and going, everything you've basically just watched and enjoyed for the past, you know – few months, few years, all of that sucked, and we're going to get rid of all of it, and we're going to change it, and it's going to be better again. Despite the fact that you and I sat here for four years, you know, and especially I do recall, you know, that last, you know, year and a half, the last year, maybe two years being stuff, we really enjoyed. A lot of good stuff, yeah. I cannot stress enough to anybody who has not listened to us when we were doing our impact coverage, how much we typically enjoyed a lot of the stuff going on in TNA, a lot of the big rivalries, a lot of big matches back when people like uh, Bobby Lashley and Bobby Roode were doing some great things in that company. Um, when EC3 and Rockstar Spud were kind of at the helm and the American Wolves suddenly became really, really good when the broken Hardy stuff was going on in TNA. There was a lot of stuff we really genuinely, truthfully enjoyed and loved about Impact at the time. And the fact that they had come out there and basically took just a big old dump all over it and therefore us for enjoying it was not at all a positive anything. This does not encourage us to continue watching. This does not encourage us to stick with the program. This does not encourage us that you know there was going to be positive changes made. So we left. Now we're back, checking out Homecoming, and I gotta say, top to bottom, there were some misfires here and there. There were some things that I didn't personally love or enjoy a whole lot, but gotta say, on the whole, a lot more good than bad on this uh, on this Impact show. I don't know if it's still called TNA or they officially moved to Impact. That always seemed to change every few months, and I no longer remember what they are or were or what their standing is. Either way. I enjoyed homecoming, so 
Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Uh, so that's a little reminiscing. We're already talking about. Let's let's go ahead and just talk about uh, Homecoming first from uh, January sixth. Um, yeah, their first big show of the year. Um, yeah, and uh, I I gotta agree. You know, I think overall I enjoyed it pretty well. Um, they started with a pretty nice video package of Johnny Mundo, uh, or Johnny Impact, I should say. And I, I have the reason I'll admit that I'm watching Impact at all is because they've co-opted most of the Lucha Underground roster. Um, <laughs> and I just love seeing those guys. And, you know, until the company dies and they can get signed everywhere else or until, you know, by some miracle they return to life, um, maybe this is just the best place to see them. So, you know, Johnny Impact saying important-sounding phrases over a lot of clips from the past, from the present, uh, just felt a little surreal to be watching Impact again, especially in the Asylum. Um, so, yeah, strange, but, uh, you know, not in a bad way. I, I enjoyed what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Definitely a uh, just a very unique way to, uh, once you take a step back from Impact for several years and come back and see, like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. And that leads into, uh, since we're at the Asylum, um, <laughs> the uh, opening match of the show being... None other than an Ultimate X uh, X Division title championship match. So, mm-hmm. you know, very fitting we had in this match, if I recall correctly. Jake Crist, uh, All Ego Ethan Page, Rich Swan, and Trey Miguel in a uh, Fatal 4-Way Ultimate X match. Mm. Pretty solid stuff. Pretty solid way to kick off the show, I thought. Ms. Fan, what did you think in general? Well, my main takeaway from this is... Uh... To me, this is the best Ethan Page has ever looked. I thought he was tremendously the star of this match. Uh, you know, the other three guys are kind of similar in their, their body type and style. They're little guys, that, you know, they, they'll moonsault off the little uh, the, the scaffolding. They'll, they'll jump around, you know, do all this stuff. But Ethan Page is kind of a bigger guy. He's a little bit of a husky guy, you know. It's just his body type is, like, totally different. And yet... He's doing, like, the most impressive stuff out of any of these guys, in my opinion. He's, like, dropping off the ropes into a Hurricane Rana. He's throwing Trey Miguel, like, off the top rope down to the floor. Um, doing, He's catching doing Rich Swan in a uh, yeah. tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Oh, so off cool. The, uh... Yeah, no, he was doing really cool stuff the whole match, I thought. So I got to give big props to Ethan Page. I thought he stood out head and shoulders. Uh, above everybody in this match um, and made it more than just kind of a, a generic uh, Ultimate X little show opener. To me, this match was really about two people. It was about Ethan Page and Trey Miguel, who really, really both impressed me in this match. Ethan Page is a guy that I've seen you know, several times throughout the years. Sometimes I love him. Sometimes he's just kind of okay. Sometimes he just exists. But uh, this match, he was definitely um, a very unique and needed element in this match, you know, mixing up with some power stuff. We talked about some of the cool spots that he did. There was also a uh, a spear that he hit onto. Yeah. Uh, I want to say it was the Christ. Uh, he hit the uh, the diving spear off the uh, ropes onto the guy hanging onto the uh, Ultimate X ropes, which was a cool spot. Uh, in general, I thought he looked good. And of the uh, more high flying guys, I thought Trey Miguel uh, looked the most interesting. Came across as you know the most daring guy in the ring. Did a lot of cool stuff as well. Uh, in the end, a uh, guy I don't really used to love, don't really uh, love so much anymore, and Rich Swan ends up picking up the title. Um, Trace uh, Miguel almost won it. He was uh, just a few inches away when uh, Rich Swan, I think, used his feet to uh, sort of dismand the uh, the X Division belt 
catches it and, you know, wins the title. So yeah. not necessarily a great result, but genuinely, I'd say, go out and look uh, for this match, especially for Ethan Page and uh, Trey Miguel as well. I thought both of those guys looked tremendous and a lot of yeah. fun in this match and did some great heavy lifting in this uh, Ultimate X match. Yeah, Miguel was definitely my second favorite as well. Um, Jay Chris I thought was fine. He didn't necessarily stand out that much to me. I don't know, all these OVE guys kind of run together a little for me, and I know there are just three of them, and two of them are Chris's, but I don't know, just the way it is, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Rich Swan, yeah, I don't know. I didn't think he did a lot in this match to really be impressive, and then the finish was sort of anticlimactic to me. Like you said, he just sort of, like, reached his feet out, and then he won. Like So, I don't know, I was... Sort of a weird finish, definitely not, I think, who I would have wanted to win, even if just coming into this match uh, cold, you know, not knowing the guys, I, I would be like, oh, that guy won? Okay, all right. That's kind of weird. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, just bottom line, big fan of everything Ethan Page in here. It's not the best match I've ever seen Ethan Page in, but it's my favorite Ethan Page performance, I think. And mm-hmm. now... Now I want to see more of the guy, probably more than I have in the past, so props Indeed. to him. Agreed. Heavily agreed. Cool. Uh, after this, we old backstage promo. Brian Cage, he is challenging. Johnny Impact for the championship tonight. He says he sacrificed everything to get here. It doesn't matter if Johnny is his friend, because uh, he's going to take that title home. A pretty, pretty solid promo, I think. Yes, indeed. Uh, I kind of just like being able to see Brian Cage do some more promos. Um, This was, you know, I don't really see him do a whole lot of like, you know, on the microphone stuff necessarily. You saw it sometimes in Lucha Underground, but a lot of the places that I end up watching him in, including like PWG and uh, bar wrestling in particular, he doesn't really just doesn't really get that opportunity. So just to be able to like actually see him cutting a promo, speaking out loud into a microphone, doing some backstage stuff was really cool. And I kind of dig the, uh, uh, just in general, how much he talked about, you know, how much I've sacrificed to get here. And I, I was like, I love you as as a friend. We're good buddies, but that is not important to me. I am here to win this title, and if I have to sacrifice my friendship to do so, so be it. I kind of like that line of thinking. That was cool. So, yeah, good promo here. Yeah, yeah, I was digging it. Move right along to uh, the first women's match of the night. It involves four women that I am a fan of. We have uh, Jordan Grace. I'm a big fan of. On one side, team with Kira Hogan, who we are getting to know. On the other side is Sue Young, and one of the only people who is still working here, who was working here when we were watching, Allie. Um, and I'm very glad to see Allie, because I was a big fan of her as well. She's gone through an awful lot since we've seen her. Now, apparently, she is demonically possessed or influenced in some way. Um, the, apparently, I her, uh... from the clips of story that we saw. This is a storyline I would be heavily into if I were watching week to week. Yes, indeed. I'm, I, I'm almost convinced we should maybe um, at, at least find a way to go back and watch this storyline play out. Because <laughs> this is right I'll, up my alley. This I'll is very much... in charge of that. That's a little more looking <laughs> than I want to do. But yeah, it does look very, uh, looks very fun. Indeed. There's a lot of uh, like horror-inspired elements here and, you know... There's, you know, Sue Young is the undead bride, and they had some feud with Rosemary. Now, apparently, like, she owns a bit of Allie's soul, and Allie's been really getting into being uh, Dark Allie, as she's kind of called. Um, you know, apparently James Mitchell is involved in something, <laughs> yes. which was uh, really cool. So, uh, uh, Kiara Hogan, I guess, was her uh, friend, 
after uh, Rosemary sort of disappeared, I think due to an injury, uh, trying to f- help her fight off the darkness, but she seems to be embracing it, is Allie. So um, Kiara Hogan is here uh, trying to, you know, be her friend, fight her off. And then Jordan Grace, I don't quite know why Jordan Grace is getting involved other than there's some people to fight and she's really powerful and wants to fight them. So that's fine with me. I like Jordan Grace. So she's here and we got ourselves what I thought was a really fun tag team match. So, yeah. I liked, uh, I only know Jordan Grace and Allie going into this, like, really well. Sue Young, I've only seen, I think, a handful of times as the, uh, the Undead Bride character, but she plays that really well. Um, Kira Hogan, I don't think I've ever actually seen before. Maybe once or twice. Yeah, I... uh, in a bar wrestling show or something. I don't know. I swear you said that last time we watched Kira Hogan as well, but maybe not. Maybe. <laughs> maybe not. I don't quite. Either way, this is definitely uh, one of the few times I've ever actually seen Kara Hogan. I thought she looked good. I was enjoying what she was uh, bringing to the table. Maybe that – no, I think I did see her somewhere. I, I definitely you remember saying remember. that. She's very distinctive. Like, Maybe she wasn't quite as distinctive that time. I don't know. I mean, anyway, yeah. she's got really long, flowing, like, colored hair. It's really cool. She's uh, pretty solid in this match. And some pretty good storyline stuff in this match. Apparently there's some sort of, like, bloody – sock or glove that they use to apply the <laughs> mandible claw to people which is really gross um i like okay, that i gotta mention i forgot to mention this in the first match but people people are all i, I hear a lot that don Callis is like this great commentator and he was not that bad on this show but man i don't know like something about him doesn't click with me because yeah at one point they bring out like this bloody glove and it's like this thing and all he's like Wow, don't put a black light on that glove. It, it's gross. And I'm like, it's not Mr. Socko. Like, sell it as something scary or intimidating. Don't just be like, wow, that's probably covered in something gross. Someone's going to get hepatitis or something. Yeah, that yeah I don't know. Line. And then in the first like, match, he kept you like, oh, you know, I designed Ultimate X. And I'm like, no, I don't think you did. I looked it up. I had to look it up, which is never a good thing uh, when you're doing commentary. And I guess he was around in 2004 as, like, an authority figure, and he took credit for it from there. So on the one hand, I'm like, okay, like, I appreciate your attempt at continuity, but you're actually just distracting me with this weird fact that I know isn't actually true. So (laughs) I don't know. He annoyed me at times, not as much as when he does New Japan commentary and he's, like, crowing about star ratings and other baloney, but I don't know. He he put me off yet again here. Um, So I just had to mention that. Yeah, uh, on on Don Callis, I will say I I honestly kind of enjoyed him on the show. Not everything he said was a home run. A lot of it was a, a pop fly or a pop foul. Um, sometimes it was just a swing and a miss entirely. But for the most part, I actually enjoyed Don Callis on the show. I don't know if he just has um, some more decent chemistry with uh, Josh Matthews. I don't know if they're both reined in a little bit more than – him being able to, once again, Ms. Van said, crow about star ratings and super kick parties and all this other stuff on New Japan shows. I don't know, but I was, wasn't necessarily loving him, but I was certainly, uh, I was digging him on this show. It was, it was quite all right on commentary for me. Not the best, but, but I enjoyed it for the most part. Well, maybe it's just me, but I have complaints about Callis in almost every single match, so uh, we'll we'll continue to discuss them as the night goes on, and we'll Indeed. see what happens. Um, but yeah, I, this honestly, I, this was a, a show of a lot of solid matches, not a lot of matches I thought were necessarily great, but this was a good match. This is probably 
one of the better matches on the show, in my opinion. Um, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun with it. It felt like it had really well-developed characters. It felt like it had a really fun story behind it. Um, You've got uh, four really talented women. You have Jordan Grace doing the closer's finisher, which I popped for in a big way. Uh, You have Sue Young spitting red mist. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff in the match. And then after the match, we had something super fun as well. Indeed. So the match itself ends up being uh, pretty fun overall for really talented women uh, doing some uh, cool teamwork stuff here and there. In fact, I thought they had a pretty solid uh, closing stretch in this match before Allie eventually breaks out the glove and flies the mandible claw to Kira Hogan to, I guess, for to pass out and win the match. Um, afterwards, Su Young calls out her undead brides who bring out a big old uh, coffin, a big old uh, death box to put her in. Um, as they bring it out, a really uh, nice aesthetic, I want to say, on the uh, undead bridesmaids. I think they were called. Yes. That was very. I was. I was a big fan of the presentation there. Mm-hmm. So they come out. They open this casket, and you originally think, oh, they're just going to put a Kira Hogan in there. When who should emerge from the casket? Other than Rosemary, who comes back and fins off the undead bridesmaids and throws Sue Young into them to take them all out and storms back into the ring where she confronts the uh, the dark alley. who has got her like face half-painted, very reminiscent of uh, Rosemary herself in sort of a half sort of way, which was cool mm-hmm. in general. Um, she comes back here and she goes to do her kind of head pat thing, which I've uh, seen her do to Allie in the past, kind of a symbol of their yeah, friendship. Bunny thing, I think they're mm-hmm. called together. Yes, indeed. But uh, right before she can actually finish doing this, Allie runs off, terrified and unhappy, and you know is apparently sticking with uh, at least for right now Sue Young and the undead uh, bridesmaids. They're deciding to sort of stick with them, or at least get away from Rosemary. Which Rosemary did not necessarily seem to have a huge problem with. I think she's uh, I think she's very excited for what the future may hold in dealing with this whole scenario now that she's back. So that's cool. That's awesome. I've really uh, Allie was always one of my favorite aspects of uh, TNA when we were watching back in the day. Now that she's kind of got this whole cool storyline going on, and Rosemary's just returned to deal with Sue Young. And this new Dark Alley, you know, this is something I'm personally feeling and definitely uh, something I would like to check out more of in the future. Uh, Yeah, perhaps so. Perhaps so. Uh, I will say I only know, like, a very little bit about this storyline, and I still typed as soon as the coffin came out, well, here comes Rosemary. So it's not (laughs) entirely unpredictable, um, but still, it's a good moment. You know, there's a reason that that you would do something like that. Mm. It's just effective. So, yeah, I... I really like this. Um, puts me in mind a little of uh, of Silverhead a few years ago being infected by Nas Muldoon and kind of having part of his face taken over by it, doing some nasty things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm always a fan of this kind of storytelling. It's my sort of thing. Big time agree. Absolutely. Uh, we move right along to a match uh, also between two guys who are uh, left over, if you will, from uh, an earlier era from when we were still watching. It is Moose taking on Eddie Edwards. Very pleased to see Moose. I've always been a fan of the guy. Eddie Edwards uh, is all right. I always found him kind of bland, which is fine when you're just in like a high-flying tag team. Less so maybe in character-driven stuff like this. We get to see a video package of Eddie Edwards getting put 
into a mental institution and being helped out of it, I think, by Raven, if I recognized him correctly. Yes, that was definitely Raven, which was... A nice cameo, I thought, but I was a little Mm -hmm. uncomfortable with the whole... I don't know, it feels very dated and... Yeah, yeah. You know, as as a uh, dude who suffers from uh, depression and autism in general, uh, mental... uh, Illnesses, if you want to call them that. Uh, this was I, I'm not a big fan of asylum gimmicks or um, you know mental mental institution gimmicks in general. They're not a lot of fun um, for me personally. Um, the idea that Raven and Eddie Edwards ended up in the same place at the same time, and Eddie Edwards, you know, being his bland, very normal self, had to ask Raven for help. That's interesting. That's that's kind of a, a I don't know if it's silly. I don't know if it's cool. I don't know what it is, but it's certainly a thing that happened, and I'm uh, at least intrigued by the uh, possibility of that. Um, I'm a big Raven fan, so yeah, I'm glad they found a place for him. I think that's a clever cameo, uh, even if I'm not a big fan of the overall story. It does seem like maybe someone better than Eddie Edwards could have been found for this role, and I've heard, oh, he's actually good at this, and after seeing it... Uh, I don't know. He still just seems like Eddie Edwards to me. He feels kind of out of his depth trying to portray someone who's really unstable or dangerous. I don't know. I just don't see it. Violence. Eddie um, Edwards. I'm sorry. Eddie Edwards has a baby face. I, I cannot see him. <laughs> as being and his whole like, deal is like a technical wrestler who's like a high flyer, and he's sort of just like. And he hits chops kind of hard sometimes, and not even really. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, we did get to see in this video package Moose wearing some spectacular outfits, so I'm really pleased that he's... I don't know, I feel like Moose is doing well. Um, I'm impressed with what I saw in the package and what I saw here. Um, I I enjoyed the match. I I thought it was good overall. Not great, but good. Uh, Moose doing some really cool things, uh, just taking a wild bump through a a piece of railing that was set up between uh, the ring and some steps. Um... We get a, a moment where Eddie Edwards' wife uh, runs in, and I was kind of rolling my eyes because I thought it would be like some dumb swerve or like just an excuse to have her get beaten up or something. But no, she actually is able to just like whack Moose with a kendo stick, uh, which got a big pop, and I thought fit well with the story. So I, I that, retracted. That genuinely, might have been that. the best uh, the best part of the match. Actually, yeah, it, I, it I, I enjoyed really the match. Well. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the match overall. I thought it was a very fun time. Uh, yeah. Moose was doing some killer stuff. Um, Eddie Edwards, as a bit of a uh, hardcore fighter, actually kind of worked for me. Just maybe not the, uh, the uh, you know, I'm very dangerous aspect. Maybe if he was just like, you know, this is what I got to do and I got to survive this, you uh-huh. know. But um, Aisha, Alicia, Alicia, I don't quite know. Something uh, like that. Yeah, I don't know either. Mrs. Edwards, uh, Mrs. Edwards uh, <laughs> came down to the ring while Eddie had brought out his uh, kendo stick, which I guess had been uh, handed to him uh, by Tommy Dreamer in the past, sort of okay, passed on here, to him. Here's my obligatory uh, Don Callis complaint. He tells us that the kendo stick is named Kenny, which is kind of dumb in and of itself, but whatever, maybe it's part of the story. And then Callis says, it's the most dangerous Kenny in the business. He did say he it's just... the most dangerous Kenny in the business, and I didn't catch <sighs> it. Quite at the time, 
But now that you have said it like that, oh my god, are you kidding me? <laughs> so stupid. Oh, you can see him. It didn't show him, but you could just feel him like waggling his eyes at the camera. So like, oh, look what I referenced. You know, this, this is what I'm talking about. I don't know. I don't like that. Yeah, that was a uh, – I just thought it was a dumb thing to say the most dangerous Kenny in the business. Like, that's one kendo stick. First off, it's not like kendo sticks are – Never mind. Also, now that I realize it was a Kenny Simmons oh. kendo stick, but that's not here there. So. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But uh, Miss Ed- Mrs. Edwards comes down and like takes the stick from him, like you know, no, you're not going to do this, putting an end to this, and immediately turned around, just started wailing on Moose with the kendo stick, which got a huge pop. Everybody yeah. loved this. I loved it. I thought it was great because, kind of like you, I was very much rolling my eyes and be like. Are we going to get a swerve here? Is this going to lead to some sort of really uh, shitty finish where she serves as a distraction for Eddie and Moose has to take advantage? And, you know, oh, I always kind of hate these sort of things. She took the kendo stick and just started beating him with it. I was like, oh, yeah. OK, that's a little bit different. I did that. It worked. In the end, uh, Eddie Edwards uh, DDTs him and picks up the victory. Um, in a what I thought was overall a pretty solid match, but with a genuinely just very cathartic and great ending, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I strongly agree. Um, good, good match. One of the better ones again on the card. Um, so, so yeah, good stuff. Um, uh, all right, we go on to the next match, which is uh, another couple of Lucha Underground guys. It is Willie Mack taking on Sammy Callahan. And uh, I'm very excited about one half of this. Um, so, I, I don't know. I said it before. I'll say it again. I don't get the appeal of Sammy Callahan, really. He's a guy who really, he wants to tell you he doesn't care, but he really cares if you know he doesn't care. And he's got to tell you about how scary he is. And, you know, when it comes time to show you, you know, maybe he's not scary unless he's, like, badly botching hardcore stuff and hurting other people. I don't know. I can't remember if he did a promo or if I just wrote this. No, uh, he, he did a as promo. Of myself. Okay. So my comment is if you love murder as much as you say, why do you care if you're the draw? Like these things don't go together at all. Can I just really quickly say sure. that the draw might be the worst nickname <laughs> in professional wrestling. It's up there for sure. Period. Hashtag the draw for Sammy Callahan is not only completely unfitting, like maybe if this was like EC3 or, you know, glorious It Factor Days Bobby Roode, I could maybe it give it half works a pack. for a character who is like really full of himself and thinks that like everyone loves him or something. And it makes no sense if the character you're trying to convey is like a stabby stab murderer. Um, so I don't know. I don't get it at all. Yeah, it, it doesn't work for me. At all, I think it's just a. It, it feels like it was something that was tacked on to Sammy Callahan. Like, oh yeah, this guy's a, he's a big he's the ratings draw. He brings the people in, so he is the draw. Sammy Callahan. It's like, no, that's terrible. That's awful. That sucks. Yeah. Ugh. I I I viscerally, I viscerally <laughs> do not like that. Um, the presentation of Ohio versus everything OVE is. Is not my thing. I kind of liked. I think it was Dave Chris that came out with him. Yeah. Dave Chris looked like you know, he had a good look. You know, looked like oh, a, I, a. I like the Chris's way better than I like Callahan. Honestly, you know, they're not my favorites, but I think they they do what they do reasonably well. Um, and they don't spend the whole match making faces. And it, was he like drooling on his hand at one point so he could do? He drooled on his hands, just chopped him at one point. 
Um, it was, you know, I don't, don't, I've come way around on, you know, from usually liking Sammy Callahan to just kind of being very much <laughs> over him. you, you watch know, him, the less you like him. I had the same effect, so. You, you know who I'm not over, though? You know who oh, I like man. a whole lot? I love the other half of this so much. Yeah, tell. Is Willie Mac. Because oh, Willie Mac is a literal world-class talent who is just, you know, phenomenal was, you know, a lot of fun in this match, who had a couple of, normally I'm not, like, there are some times where I like uh, one-count kickouts. There are not a whole lot of times when I like two in a row one-count kickouts from the same dude. But Willie Mac not only made it work, it also gets even more of a pass because it was done to Sammy Callahan. <laughs> um, in general, well, Willie looked great in this match, I thought. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, you know, hitting all his big spots, getting a whole lot of the crowd behind him while he was doing his thing. Um, you know, played a really good uh, underdog throughout this match. Um, when he was in control, you know, looked pretty good. I genuinely thought he was going to win this match, especially after the two one-count kickouts. I expected him to maybe do, a, like, a pop-up stunner or something. Unfortunately, very unfortunately in my book, yeah. um, one more lariat from uh, Callahan, followed by a pile driver, ultimately does... Uh, Willie Mack in, and this was a very, very bad turn of events uh, overall, but I I don't know if I necessarily enjoyed the match or if I simply enjoyed Willie Mack's performance in <laughs> said match, but uh, for the most part, I walked away having a good time with uh, with Willie Mack specifically out of this. Yeah, I, I, it evened out, I thought, to be a solid match, um, kind of with one half being really good and one half not being my thing at all. Um, so it kind of landed in the middle. Um, two Don Callis comments that I need to draw your attention to. At one point, Callahan uh, throws a knee strike, which actually looked good. I'll give him credit for that. And um, he called it the V-trigger? He I... called it the V-trigger. <laughs> As if there's so only one kind me. of knee strike in the world, and it's the V-trigger. So that was annoying to me. Um, second thing, and this is worse, at one point, uh, Willie Mack does his, like, reverse cannonball into the corner, which is a super cool move, looks really impactful, shows off the athleticism of Willie Mack. How does Don Callis call this move? That's a lot of ass. Don Callis is a lot of ass, okay? You know, his commentary is ass to me. Like, I don't know, what... (sighs) I know it's part of Willie Mack's presentation. He's like, oh, I'm a husky guy, but I'm, like, athletic too. But I don't know. If you're going to call his matches like he's freaking Rikishi or something, then what, what are you even doing? Just go away. I, I don't need it. Yes, indeed. Um, Don Callis. Callis yet? Am I making you uh, change not, your mind? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, listening to his commentary, you know, by the end of the show, I was uh, – I'm not a Don Callis fan by any stretch, but I enjoyed it during the uh, the show. That did not mean how this does not mean, however, that uh, Callis did not make several very just ill-informed or badly worded or just not very good commentary quips during this show because he did, he did. Fair enough. I feel like other people like yeah. There's. I've actually seen uh, friends of mine who seemingly love Don Callis on commentary, right. and I don't get it. Like, yeah. even on this show, like I dug him, but I wouldn't say I like liked or loved him. He was he was passable uh, enough. Yeah, this and was like his best commentary, and it was still full of filled with problems. very annoying <laughs> quips and yeah, things of that sure. nature. Yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. It's just it's not. 
It's not for me, I guess. I feel the way about Don Collis, uh, the way some people apparently feel about Matt Stryker, I guess, in that uh, some people can't overlook Matt Stryker's, um, you know, pitfalls and, and see to the good things he does. I'm sure there are good things Don Callis does, but I cannot look past, like, the big problems in his commentary. So I guess that's just my my mental block or something. Um, I, I, I would like to give... Not necessarily a whole huge shout out, but uh, at least some mild appreciation for Josh Matthews on this show. Oh, I don't yeah. know. He was he was there. I kind of enjoyed his commentary. Um, it's been a while since I actually listened to him. Um, <laughs> Considering he was a big part of the reason we stopped in 2017. Um, yes, he sounded fine on this show. He wasn't doing his excruciating heel character. He wasn't like screaming at his commentary partner in the middle of when he matches. was doing the things uh josh matthews is you know pretty all right at doing right he's not only tolerable i kind of you know i don't love him i don't like him i but he's i do fine. enjoy him he's, he's yeah. fine so he's plus fine. he was he there with fine. don Callis, which immediately elevates him at least one or two degrees um <laughs> in general for having to put up with that but suppose yeah so, yeah yeah, no, he's fine. He's a little disingenuous, maybe, in the way he sounds sometimes, but I've heard worse. I've heard a lot worse. So, um, all right, we move on to uh, another couple of guys who've been around the block a few times with Impact. It is uh, Abyss. I Weird that Abyss is still wrestling to me. I guess maybe this was it for him in Impact, because now he's a WWE something. I really don't know what. But, Staff uh, worker, I guess. Sure. Uh... Okay, Take good. It Take it on Eli Drake. Uh, great to hear Eli Drake cut another promo. He was a huge highlight and one of the guys that was hardest to give up on when we moved on from Impact. Uh, he's backstage. He blindfolded himself, which I assume was a reference to the original Monsters Ball stipulation of being like, I don't know, something like that. Uh, he, he talks about how Abyss came out of the garbage heap right in this building. And I don't know if he was speaking literally or not. I, I don't know about the origin of the Abyss character, I guess. Uh, but it's just a super fun promo. I really like the video package. Uh, Joseph Park was involved in the storyline at one point. Um, some weird stuff that I didn't follow is like, I don't know, they did a, a something about a class action lawsuit, which I thought was maybe a weird reference, that ongoing concussion thing with the WWE and talking about, oh, what wrestling used to be, uh, which I guess Wait, like a how far back? Thing. I, it, like, I really liked the start of this video package, and then it like kept taking weird turns that I couldn't quite follow, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It got weird to me, but still, I like Eli Drake. Uh, I don't know if I could say I like Abyss, but he has his moment, so yeah, it, it was something. <laughs> So this uh, leads up into this uh, Monsters Ball match mm -hmm. where uh, uh, I think previously in the promo, uh, uh, Eli Drake was like, you're not going to be able to use Janice. You're not going to be able to use Thumbtacks. I'm not going to let you. I'm going to beat you before then. <laughs> no one in history uh, has used Janice for anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that came with a very, not necessarily an empty threat, but an unnecessary threat. You don't need to tell somebody they can't use Janice because it's not happening. The only one who has to be afraid is the uh, turnbuckle. I'm amazed no turnbuckle got hit with Janice, so that's, that's miraculous in and of itself. Um, so we get this match, and i got to say, um, not not the world's biggest fan of this one. This was the, <laughs> It's uh, probably the worst match on the card, but it wasn't 
nearly as bad as it could have been, I thought. Um, they do some big hardcore spots. Eli Drake does a lot of heavy lifting, uh, takes some big bumps. Um, I, I, I do want to quickly say, I don't yeah. know if you noticed this, mm-hmm. but um, do you know who the referee was? Yes, in this it was match? the Chikara guy. What's his name? Chris Levins, the guy from okay. Chikara. Yes. You know his name. Why didn't commentary know his name? I don't know that why was commentary very distracting. They were like fumbling all over themselves. And like, the ref has a thumbtack in his eye. This How do you not boy, know what the ref's this name young is? man, just, just learn his name. Or if you know it, just say it. My God. But yeah, that, that was kind of a... Because I thought that was him in the first match, the Ultimate X match, yeah. but I couldn't be quite sure. And then when it came to this match, I looked at him and was like, no, that's, that's Chris Levins. He's got a spot on... Like the Impact referee roster, that's yeah. really really cool. Good yep. for him. Yep. Uh, so. Yeah, so that that was nice. They do a spot where he's like blinded by some thumbtacks, and I guess I don't know what the point of that was in the end because I don't know if it really led to anything. Factor into anything, but like yeah, I don't know. I, Eli I don't know, Drake I like though, he sure ate but... a lot of attacks in his back. Man, he was yeah. really. He was really cursing up a up. storm. I don't know if that was <laughs> him acting or if he was really in genuine pain. Uh, probably a little sure bit. I'm sure he was in genuine pain because he had a, a thousand thumbtacks coming out of his back. I'm sure he was just channeling his very real feelings into some uh, character work there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there was a uh, there's a weird spot, sort of like in the middle of this match, where Abyss was like hanging on the ropes, and Eli Drake was kind of like battering him a little bit, and then ran into him. Um, to do something and instead got a belly to belly suplexed over the top through um yeah no some that, tables yeah that was the, which, the the spot of the match for sure yeah which was it was just, it was just weird because like the spot itself you know ruled getting you know suplexed literally over the top rope through like a table or two was like oh that's a really cool spot I didn't really the setup for like abyss to like be hanging on the ropes was just I don't know I felt like they conceived the spot without conceiving how to get to the spot. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. Still, but that was that was probably the like the, the coolest thing that happened in this match. For sure. Uh, the least cool yeah. thing that happened in this match was Eli Drake trying to use zip ties on Abyss and taking 100 years to try to do it, and then it didn't even work. So he, <laughs> just, took up, so he just took up a chair and just destroyed Abyss with it. He, he uh, went full Steve Austin at WrestleMania 17 on him for sure, just just smacking him all around. And then he kicked out anyway, and I'm like, man, you did like a hundred chair shots just now. Maybe, okay, all right, sure, whatever. Um, I, I don't even remember what the the finish was, because I... Was I hitting him with the oar, right? Which for oh, some that's reason right. is like the, his uh, weapon of choice. The paddle over yeah, him and busted on his face. Um, which, I mean, I... Like, apparently the weapon, that was his, like, as you said, his weapon of choice. That was sort of the big thing he'd been using throughout the storyline, apparently. So him kind of finishing yeah. with that and, like, actually breaking it on Abyss's head was like, okay, that's actually kind of cool. But it proceeded or followed 20 chair shots to the back right. that I got kicked <laughs> out of. So why was this? Like, if he had hit the 20 chair shots, didn't pin the guy, proceeded to get the or did exactly that, and won the match off of that, I'd have been like, okay, that was really punishing. But 20 share shots and then a kick out, and then, all right, I've got this ore now. That's going to do it. it wooden ore is not more painful than a steel chair, although we did whack him right in the head, which I was a little uncomfortable with also, I have to say, sensitive towards head trauma. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 it was what it was. It could have been a lot worse. It was the weakest match on the card, but it wasn't a disaster or anything. Had a few cool moments, some dumb moments. 
Um, but yeah, it uh, for an Abyss match in 2019, it's certainly better than I think it had any right to be, yes, so I'll this, give it credit for that. This was not quite a train wreck or even a car crash. It was just no. kind of uh, a little bit weird. Um, some cool <laughs> things did happen, but... Uh, uh, in the end, as Ms. Van said, probably the weakest match on the card by a country mile. Indeed. Um, one last thing. Why does everyone steal from Eddie Kingston? Why does everyone have to be the last of a dying breed when you're not? There's, there's only one person that's ever fit. It didn't fit Bull Dempsey in NXT. It doesn't fit you, Eli Drake. You're better than that. You can, you can come up with something better. Yes, indeed. There's one last of a dying breed. There's one war king. There's one king of diamonds. It is Eddie Kingston, and he is the man. I get why you would want to steal from him, because Eddie Kingston rules, but I also don't get why you would want to steal from him, because A, you're not going to measure up, and B, he might actually kill you for doing so. so why, uh, why was Eddie Kingston in appearance anywhere here? Maybe he doesn't work there anymore, but man, he should. I I was strongly tempted to go watch some I've Impact watched a few, year. like, King promos when he yeah. was, you know... In they impact, great. I was They're like, getting oh. great reactions. I don't know if they parted ways with him again. Then man, they're still they're still pretty stupid if that's what they did. Indeed, though, I've heard Kingston might be uh, close to retiring. Yeah, I something know he I've said heard through the grapevine. You know, so I don't know if that's a Chuck Taylor kind of situation or what. But man, I don't know if anybody if anyone can throw him some big bookings. Man, in an era where everyone's getting signed, you should go out of your way to sign Eddie Kingston, even if he retires from wrestling. You should still sign Eddie Kingston immediately because he is one of the greatest talkers in modern wrestling, and that encompasses absolutely everybody. So, man, go sign Eddie Kingston, everyone who has money right now. If you don't, you're just ridiculous. I don't know what to even do with you then. Kingston might be genuinely uh, one of the greatest uh, talents that has ever come through the American independent scene, and the fact that he has... uh, um, other than his Chikara Grand Championship reign, never quite reached the heights that he absolutely should have is a crime, genuine crime against the sport of professional wrestling. Mm, it yeah. sucks, and we cannot let this man retire without giving him the props he deserves. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, so, yeah, do, do what's best for you, Eddie Kingston, but, man, yeah, I hope I hope you get a big break. Yeah. Uh, somewhere because man you know i love chuck taylor but if chuck taylor can get booked by ring of honor and new japan and all this stuff then by god you know someone should be able to book eddie kingston uh for heaven's sake um mm. i say as a guy who loves chuck taylor but you know what i'm talking about though so indeed um all right we go backstage we got a, a, a interview with killer cross um i'm still i'm a fan of killer cross i love his look i think he's a really good promo i think he's got charisma he's got a good aura uh, his ring skills, as far as I've seen, are solid. You know, I, I don't think it's his strongest area, but he does just fine for himself. Uh, he has some cryptic words for Johnny Impact. I know a little of this storyline. He's been uh, telling Johnny Impact that he needs to kind of embrace the help of Killer Cross if he wants to keep that title. Um, Johnny Impact has uh, rebuffed him so far, but uh, how long... Can he uh, avoid trying to take the easy way out? I don't know, but I, I dug this. I thought it was good. Yes, indeed. Killer Cross, a very uh, enigmatic character who uh, definitely plays that part really, really well. Um, seen him in a few matches. You know, that's definitely, I think, his uh, 
it's both fair and unfair to call it his weakest aspect because it's not like he sucks at all. He's, he's not like he's a terrible in ring wrestler. He's all right, but I think everything else is also just so elevated by him that it just can't quite uh, measure up currently to uh, what he does in terms of presentation and you know promos and general charisma and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, this was cool to see. I don't know anything about what was going on with his uh, storyline with a. Uh, uh, Mundo, Impact, Nitro, whatever his name is. Um, Johnny, I guess. We'll just call him Johnny. Um, <laughs> which was weird, because they called him Impact a lot on the show on commentary. Yeah, and I was I like, yeah, I don't like that. That's <laughs> weird. His name's, just call him like John something. Anyway, um, yeah, Killer Cross cut a promo, and Killer Cross is really good at cutting promos, so this was cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, I agree about, I get the idea of calling him Impact, but then, yeah, when you're call, actually calling him Impact... You sound like you're talking about like what the company is doing, and I don't know. It conf- it and Impact really just fell off the top rope, and you're like, uh, I mean, I guess he did. Impact but, uh, is in a lot of trouble here. Yeah, okay, I guess like, all right. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be saying that on commentary, but right, all right. Yeah, I don't know. It was a little weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, we come up to the match that, you know, honestly, it's the reason I picked this show to watch. It's a match that uh, I have heard very good things about. It features... Two of my absolute favorite performers in wrestling. Uh, this match is uh, LAX, Ortiz and Santana, taking on none other than the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix for the Impact Tag Team Championships. Uh, really good video package, I thought, before this, where we see uh, one of LAX. I'm sorry, I still I don't know which one is which yet. Um, but cutting a really good promo about how they want to step up how they've been the longest-reigning tag champions, but, you know, what kind of champions are there if they don't accept the challenge from a team like the Lucha Brothers? They show that Conan thought they weren't ready for this. He told them not to do it. They did it anyway, and he, he wouldn't be in their corner for the match. Just just some really cool stuff that invested me in their half, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even really expecting that, you know, because I've seen this match in bar wrestling, and it was like a really good spot fest. They were like, oh, they're just going to do that again. Um, and they kind of did because that's a lot of what the match is, but they invested it with something additional by showing this really good package before invested me in LAX much more than I've ever been before. Cause I'm not a huge fan of like the Latino gangster gimmick. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. They kind of distanced from that a little and just, just established themselves more as the young guys trying to, to make their impact in the world, which is what they really are. So I, I thought that did them much better. Uh, the match itself, it's just, it's really awesome. It's super, super fun. It's everything you kind of think that it would be, and maybe a little bit more. Uh, Pentagon and Phoenix are incredible. LAX, really good team, you know, a team that you really got to keep an eye out for. I had a great time with all of this. Pentagon, who thankfully is just known as Pentagon Jr. in Impact, which is a, a godsend, I would say. <laughs> which is always what he will be to me. Yeah, no, I can't oh, stand oh. Penta Zero L O M and L M N O P, whatever, you know. <laughs> but um, Pentagon Jr. in this match um, ran up one member of LAX's back while they were pinning uh, Phoenix and hit a step up Canadian Destroyer on the other LAX member. I believe it was Santana. And that was not even in like the top like three or top five wildest things that occurred in this match. <laughs> and that is saying something. Uh, this match was a heck of a lot of fun. Josh Matthews said, you know, this was January. 
but do not forget this match in December. This is a uh, match that you're contender, and I don't quite know if it reached that sort of level, but if somebody put this match on that sort of level, I would not necessarily have a, uh, a big qualm against it, because this was mm-hmm. a heck of a lot of fun. I love the Lucha Brothers, um, LAX, uh, the guys involved, Ortiz and Santana, I really like. Every time I've seen them, um, you know, I know there's a lot of problems with the gimmick. I know, I believe it's Joe Schmo um, does not appreciate this gimmick, and I understand and uh, mm-hmm. sympathize with him on that. But I think the two uh, performers in here, Santana and Ortiz, are pretty good guys, especially mm-hmm. in the realm of tag team work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. And you know they, what I actually liked most about this match, I think, besides Phoenix just being like ludicrously great at everything, um, LAX actually gets the win. And that, I, you know, even though I am a much bigger fan of the Lucha Brothers, I thought that was totally the right call for the story that they were telling. Um, I, I, I thought it was great. I thought this was by far the best match on the card. I really enjoyed Conan coming up after the match saying, I was wrong, you were ready, you know, and just putting over everyone. It felt really good. You know, it was a great match. It felt good. Um, I think that's that's one of the things this show did well uh, a number of times. They had moments which felt important, that often felt good, felt satisfying. That's really important in wrestling, so I really got to applaud them on that. Yeah, I, I, I must echo your sentiments that this was a very satisfying show. Yeah. Like There were a lot of matches that ended in very conclusive and satisfying ways. Um, we talked about the Eddie Edwards uh, Moose match. No. Regardless of how you necessarily feel about that match, whether it was, you know, great, whether it was all right, whether it was, you know, something a little bit better, maybe even something a little bit worse, that finish with uh, uh, Mrs. Edwards coming out and laying waste to Moose with the kendo stick was awesome. Um, you know, the Sue Young match with Rosemary coming out and, you know, coming back, you know, that's satisfying. That's a good thing. This match, very much the same way. Santana and Ortiz worked their asses off against the Lucha Brothers, ultimately pick up. The pinfall victory, good work by them. Conan comes out and says, yep, you two are legit. You two were ready for this. I was wrong about you guys. I was wrong about this. You guys earned this. Satisfying. Good endings, good matches put together in good ways, where even you know guys like me and Miz fan who haven't watched Impact in two years can come on, click this on, watch it, and be like, okay, good. You know That's how this felt like it should have ended, and guess what? It ended like that. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely so. Are you ready for some uh, Don Callis comments to uh, make you sad? Uh, <laughs> Fire away. Fire right. away. At one point, Don Callis shouts out that he has never seen a tag match at this level. And even though I really enjoyed that match, um, it's so freaking disingenuous from a guy who you know has screamed the same thing at every Young Bucks match he ever saw at every Golden Lovers match he ever saw. Um, I, it's so insincere to me, and maybe I'm just overthinking it, but, man, I it, it took me out of the moment to have him uh, try to put something like that over, you know, so that, that was annoying to me. Um, I may have missed this comment because I think during this match I wasn't really listening to uh, Don Callis' commentary. Cause... I envy people. Like, whenever I watch with Joe Schmo, he never hears the commentary, no matter what it is. Um, so some people, I guess, just just tune it out at some point. I'm, I'm incapable. Um, here's the worst one. When uh, when Pentagon uh, is doing the Cerro Miedo thing at some point in the match, Don Callis says, Wow, 
what a diss. And I'm like, oh, he did. Uh, he did yes, actually. That he was said that big exactly. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember misunderstanding of the whole idea. I don't know. Didn't work for me. Yeah, that. Um, it didn't catch the first thing, but the second thing I definitely noticed, and while it didn't leave me too puzzled or confused, it was one of those things like, no, I think you don't get that. Anyway. Don <laughs> <laughs> uh, Callis. Don Callis. Pretty much. Um, uh, two matches left on the card, and I'll just say now, uh, we were talking about satisfying endings. I don't know if we're going to get that on either of these last two matches, um, but they will have good points as well. First match is Taya Valkyrie taking on Tessa Blanchard for the Impact Knockouts Championship. Uh, I actually did, um, on my own time, go and watch their match from uh, Bound for Glory, which I thought was pretty solid, but not quite as good as I maybe wanted it to be. And I sort of had the same problem here. Uh, the story around this is Gail Kim is the referee. Big fan of Gail Kim. Nice to see her. But uh, she's got a problem with Tessa Blanchard. Oh, but she's not here to play favorites, which is kind of the failing of any special guest referee <laughs> match ever. Um, uh-huh. I don't know. As good as these two are, I don't know if they quite have the right chemistry. Uh, maybe it's that, or maybe it's just the fact that, like, oh, this was heavily involving Gail Kim in the whole finishing stretch. Like, Gail gets bumped, but then she gets back up because Tessa is trying to use the title belt. And then she accidentally hits Taya with it. Um, and then but it doesn't Tessa, cost Taya the, the match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Tessa starts, like, pushing Gail around and, like, not thinking about the match. And then Gail Kim basically just screws Tessa over. Like, she, she hits her, she fast counts her, she totally screws her. And then it's trying to be, oh, Taya, what an emotional title win, except not really, because it was, like, totally, you know, illegitimate. So... I don't know. It, it wasn't a bad match at all. It was a very solid match as far as the action goes. But I don't know. Something about it, I wasn't feeling that much. The the issue, I think, with certain uh, guest referee matches is that unless you play them really, really well, they end up being less about the two competitors that are actually in the match and more about at least one competitor and the special guest referee. And towards the end of this match... That definitely became the case where Taya felt more like an accessory in this match than, you know, the main participant in here alongside Tessa Blanchard. Because it became more about Tessa dealing with Gail Kim and all the things that came in there with Taya feeling more like, you know, the third wheel in the scenario who ultimately picked up the victory. And it's just it, it wasn't I didn't personally have I didn't find it awful. But there was so much, like, there was just so much that they didn't, like, need to do that they did anyway. Like, to right. me, the tie of Valkyrie uh, shot by Yale Kim was completely and utterly meaningless right. by the end of this. Like, if they had cut that out, maybe everything would have worked a little bit better. Um, I, 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 maybe if they hadn't tried to portray... Uh, the each defeat into Taya picking up the victory as an emotional title win for Taya Valkyrie. Uh, maybe that would have been, you know, a little bit better. Maybe if it had been just more poised as, or posed, I should say, as, you know, just kind of getting revenge on Tessa Blanchard instead of, ah, oh, yes, a, you know, emotional win here. Uh, maybe that would have played off a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, this was not quite, I think, the way they 
wanted to or really should have gone with this title match because it makes uh, Taya, who I genuinely believe is one of um, the best wrestlers in the world, not just as a woman, but just as a wrestler in general. Um, you know, it just made her feel, like I said, as an accessory instead of like a main component. And that is just going to always suck. Mm, mm, yep. Yeah, not not a big fan of the way that all went down. So perfectly fine as far as the action went, uh, you know, quite good, in fact. But, yeah, the booking was less than satisfying to me. So um, fair enough. Speaking of, uh, we have the main event of the show, which is Johnny Mundo, or I'm sorry, Johnny Impact, taking on Brian Cage for the Impact Championship. Uh, they built up the I... match well. They do a promo with Johnny before where he does a pretty good, pretty solid job, I think. Um I, I don't know. The, the, the finish was one thing. The action itself, I thought, was really, really great. Uh, I'm a big fan of both these guys. I thought they had a really good showing together um, pretty much all the way through. What, what did you think uh, of this one? In general, you know, I, I appreciated what both guys were doing. I like Johnny Mundo, Johnny Impact, Johnny Nitro, whatever you want to call him, John Morrison. <laughs> um, I enjoy uh, Brian Cage. I thought they were doing pretty solid work throughout this match. Um, but it did, for me at least, it kind of got to a point where it just felt like they were doing things sometimes. And I, I think it was because they were trying to set up uh, this finish as opposed to actually, you know, actually finishing the match. And that ended up uh, detracting a lot from it because I, I really must have to say this felt like the most uh, TNA match on the show, unfortunately. <laughs> like if in you a had, bad way. Yeah. Yes, because the end comes... When uh, Brian Cage you know, he becomes frustrated with the fact that he hasn't been able to put away Johnny Mundo. In fact, uh, Johnny Impact, Johnny Impact even kicking out at one, I think, at least one move, or at least Brian Cage did. I can no longer remember who did what in this match. But Cage eventually rolls to the outside where apparently in attendance at the show are two of Johnny's buddies from uh, the last season of Survivor that Johnny Mundo, Johnny Impact, was on. Um, Cage goes out there and he's yelling at these dudes and he pushes one of them like into a whole bunch of chairs, which causes the ref to go outside to kind of deal with this situation and send Cage back in. Cage eventually hits the drill claw on Johnny Mundo, pins him, and gets no count because the referee is outside dealing with this whole scenario. Mm. Um, eventually Cage gets very upset about this. They try to go into the finish, which... Ends up, I thought, actually being a kind of cool spot, but I couldn't quite tell if the pinfall itself had been uh, screwed up in some way. Basically, Cage has got uh, – he's going to go for the like deadlift superplex from the apron. Always a cool spot, but Johnny eventually fights it off and turns it into, in in essence, a like second-rope schoolboy slamming, uh, slamming Cage down and pinning him for a – I'd say a contested three-count. Um, uh, he, Mundo Impact is declared the winner of this match, but Brian Cage is very upset about it. Um, he probably had the match won had the referee not been outside dealing with the uh, Survivor guys getting destroyed through some chairs. Um, and I don't know. Like I said, I I really felt the ending, like the actual three count, felt kind of contested and i don't know if that's what they were going for mm. but it, it didn't feel quite definitive it didn't feel quite climactic um either way uh johnny impact wins brian cage takes the title and says he throws it at him like here you go man i guess here's your title 
I think this is BS, but you won, and storms off. And, um, yeah, that was the match. A, I'd say a pretty solid match. Uh, definitely kind of horrifically marred by some of the uh, in-stretch booking here <laughs> and some of the decisions that kind of led the match to feel very uh, bloated even before they got there because I think they were setting up this sort of finish and it was not um, – it, it definitely dragged the match down a lot in my opinion. Yeah, it didn't do him any favors. Uh, I still really enjoyed the match overall. I'd say it's one of the better matches on the card, but uh, probably would have been better with a different kind of finish and, as you say, a different stretch into that finish as well. Um, uh, but my mom, who likes Survivor a lot, watched this match too, and she really liked the ending, so maybe we're just the wrong target audience. <laughs> You're the wrong for audience thing. for this one. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. For sure, for sure. In the end, um, Taya Valkyrie comes out to celebrate, and I didn't quite catch everything here, but eventually, Killer Cross comes out, and it ends with him powerbombing Taya off the apron into a whole bunch of dudes, uh, or not off the apron, off the uh, entrance ramp, off the entranceway, into a whole bunch of dudes, like, in the third row of the audience. So, yeah, I guess that's part of what uh, Killer Cross was talking about earlier in the show. Indeed so. Um, I'm, I'm all about it. I think Killer Cross is cool, and uh, nice way to kind of be shocking at the end there. Power rolling tight into a crowd of uh, plants or whoever they were. It doesn't matter, you know? It's a cool visual. I like it anyway. Definitely um, cool visual, and it's uh, I think it's a really good way to sort of transition from Cage into Cross as being the next uh, major title contender. It immediately sets him up. I mean, we already knew he was dangerous, but it immediately sets him up as a dangerous threat coming directly for the title. And yeah, I think it's a I think that in itself didn't necessarily make up for the match, but it was a uh, a good way to follow it up. I felt definitely so. Uh, my only one last complaint: Don Callis apparently horrified at the idea that Taya would try to fight um, Killer Cross and. Uh, I know it didn't happen in one of your promotions, but man, someone get this guy a video of Taya versus Brian Cage and how utterly badass and convincing she is, and then tell me that like it's some sort of terrible thing that Taya would try to fight Killer Cross. So there, shut up one last time. Don yeah, that's uh... um. All right, cool. Yeah, that was everything from Homecoming. Uh, like I said, I, I feel like it was a show with mostly solid matches. Um, and one really great match. There was some good booking. There was some bad booking. I think what you said earlier on is probably right where my eye met. Uh, it's something I wouldn't mind watching at all intermittently, kind of once in a while. It's not something I'm feeling a strong desire to watch week to week uh, again, because uh, I like how my palate has been broadened, and I think there are better companies for telling continuous storylines and uh, featuring interesting different kinds of action. But still... Uh, Definitely come a long way from from the, the, the bottom dropping out a couple of years ago. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like they're they're feeling really different, uh, fresher than they were before. they got some good stuff going on. Yes, indeed. This was a very – overall a very positive experience. Um, not quite to the same level as a lot of our other bread-and-butter promotions that we watch. Um, but still definitely a good time. I enjoyed a lot of the matches on this show. Um, enjoyed a lot of the happenings on this show. Yes, of course, there were some uh, some bumps and maybe some blunders here and there, but 
Um, especially when you're not quite super invested in the product and you're coming back into it. Maybe that's to be at least a little bit expected. Either way, I had a good time with this, and I definitely wouldn't mind checking out, especially a lot of the talents that we liked from the show and uh, previous Impact iterations. Definitely wouldn't mind checking them out some more in the future, at least every once in a while. Absolutely so. Uh, we'll see if that is on the radar or not, but it's certainly a possibility at least. So I hope mm-hmm. you enjoyed this uh First time in two years edition of Global Impact, the revolution. We now uh, concentrate back on the global part. We're going to talk about some more WXW before we uh, call it a day here. So let's talk about Dead End, the show coming from uh, February 15th, very recent show up now on WXWnow.de. Definitely great streaming service, well worth checking out. Let's, uh, Let's get into this. Let's go through the card here. Yes, indeed. Live from Hamburg, WXW Dead End. Indeed. We start off with a tag team match. It is David Starr and Avalanche facing uh, a surprising team, in my opinion, Yern Simmons and Timothy Thatcher, two guys I would not anticipate getting along. Uh, Timothy Thatcher, uh, you know, pretty much a, a babyface. Not not necessarily a corny one, but uh, not not into uh, cheating, not into taking shortcuts. Then Yern Simmons was massively into cheating and taking shortcuts and just all around being a jerk. So definitely an odd couple on one side, albeit a very mm-hmm. talented one. Indeed, um, taking on a uh, David Starr and Avalanche, who uh, mm-hmm. uh, just for the uh, clarification for this match, the winning person on the team, whoever ended up picking up the victory in this match would be able to choose their first round opponent in 16 karat gold in oh, the 16 karat gold that tournament. Me at least. Okay. Well that explains, um, the finish a little more. <laughs> That's <laughs> good to know. Um, yeah, th- this was very interesting. I didn't even think when this match started, but David Starr and Ewan Simmons being in the same ring again, uh, was something definitely of note. Uh, like they really mm-hmm. played strongly, off their past rivalries. I like that uh, kind of as I expected. Yuren Simmons and Timothy Thatcher couldn't really work together very well. I loved uh, a moment where Yuren um, is holding, I believe it was David Starr up in the air. Thatcher comes in, he, he kind of sticks his knee out. It's like, you know, come on, hit, slam him over my knee, slam him. And Yuren kind of just walks around with him, throws him somewhere else, and then puts his foot up on Thatcher's knee as if you're some sort of uh, regal figure. Um, it was a great moment. Doing the ring cast uh, hand behind, hands behind the back pose Indeed. while on uh, the Timmy's knee there, and it was definitely played off as if uh, you screwed up big time. In fact, I believe the fans started chanting, you fucked up after. <laughs> uh-huh. I believe you are correct. Um, yeah, I thought this was a great tag team match overall. Really, really strong way to start the show. A lot of really good wrestlers, a lot of really little things done well uh, at the end. We have David Starr blind tagging in and uh, getting the pinfall on Yuren Simmons, which uh, not only gives a little glory to Starr and uh, puts off Avalanche kind of getting his revenge on Yuren, but also, as you said, gives him a chance to pick his first round opponent, which I'm now just realizing uh, later in the night. He picked Walter, didn't he, as his first round opponent? My God, will that finally be the time that, ah, that he pins Walter Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but I'm really excited about that. Indeed. Um, I really liked this match in general. The Yern Simmons-Timothy Thatcher teaming uh, was a lot of fun all throughout. Uh, Avalanche, I think, is a tremendous tag team wrestler, and this match really cemented that, solidified 
that. Uh, we watched some of his uh, singles work, and I don't know if it's necessarily him or some of the booking that's been going on between him and Yearn Simmons, but he doesn't necessarily, um, you know, those matches haven't been spectacular. But in a tag team scenario, in a tag team setting, Avalanche was awesome. He was really explosive in this match. David Starr also putting in a lot of solid work here, you know, having rivalries basically with both uh, Thatcher and Yearn Simmons really elevated the match. I thought in the end, a good finish, good match, a lot of fun stuff going on in this one, and a heck of a way to kick off uh, WXW's dead end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. Um, uh, yeah, great, great tag match here to start off. Um, we move along to our second match of the night, which is Faye Jackson taking on Killer Kelly, taking on Tony Storm in a non-title match. Uh, Faye Jackson, someone I've been aware of kind of for a while, but I think this is my first time actually seeing her wrestle. Um, Same. Yeah, she, she's a very uh, large woman, um, but uh, I don't know, very confident, very, uh, in my opinion, sexy one. I think she is. Um, Rico Bushido definitely thinks she Rico is. Rico Bushido was losing his goddamn mind <laughs> at Faye Jackson. And I said I, on Twitter, know, us. I, I couldn't blame him, but yeah, no, go ahead. Yes, but I said on Twitter, uh, Stokely Hathaway might have to, I don't know if Stokely Hathaway is dating Faye Jackson or what the situation is, but the two of them are very uh, closely aligned on Twitter and things, and Stokely Hathaway might have to go over to Germany and kill Rico Bushido for some <laughs> of the comments he was making um, in this match. All, all in good fun, all in good spirit, but um, in general... Hathaway and WXW sounds great to me, by the way. Please, please I would love to You know, <laughs> if... Uh, you know, they've been running with this uh, storyline a little bit that they might uh, – uh, Timothy Thatcher might have some issues with doing stuff with Rinkov. And if he does, there was a, a manager he used to have in places like Evolve and things, uh, one Mr. Uh, Mister Stokely Hathaway. You know, that might be uh, the dream team reunion in WXW would be something I couldn't possibly be opposed to. So mm-hmm. maybe they should consider that. Anyway, back to this match. Um this was, I thought, a really good one. A good first yeah. showing for Faye Jackson, who looked really awesome in this match. Um, particularly, um, I am always a huge mark, huge mark, for the looking like you're going to do a big, humongous dive and then not doing a big, humongous dive spot. That always gets me every time. I don't know why. It's just It just tickles my fancy. Uh, we, are, we are a part on that one, but all right, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Listen, I love it when Don Fuji does it. I love it when Lowe's Ice Creams kind of do it sometimes. I just, I, I dig it. I don't know why, but uh, Faye Jackson pretended to do, or looked like she was going to do a big, uh, like, uh, tope suicida, steps out on the apron, drops a couple of elbows. Uh, she was looking good in this match in general. Um, Killer Kelly is here. Killer Kelly is always awesome, looked good as well. Uh, Tony Storm took a couple of nasty. She took a spear from Faye Jackson that I thought might have uh, absolutely destroyed her. Uh, she was looking good in here as well. In the end, Killer Kelly ends up picking up a pretty solid victory in this match. All three women looked great here. Killer Kelly picks up the uh, the victory and somehow somebody ends up with Tony Storm's uh, WXW Women's Championship. Uh, kind of seems to, you know, do the like, hey, this might be uh, me next for the title. When Tony Storm, uh, who, as we know, has kind of had a contentious uh, turn in her relationship with Killer Kelly, Comes back in and uh, Kelly hands her the title. Or she like rips the title back. Kelly tries to get a uh, handshake from her. 
only for Tony Storm to slap her and then kick her while she is down before evacuating the ring, which the fans did not take kindly to at all. And I must say, um, I very much appreciate this apparent turn for Tony Storm. Not necessarily because I think this will make her a better competitor or wrestler or character, but it means I can actively root against Tony Storm now <laughs> without really having to worry about too many things. And she's going to be up against Killer Kelly, who I like a lot. So this is kind of where I thought they would be going after the events of um, of the, the last show where she uh, essentially retired almost. Uh, Melanie Gray, I kind of figured this might be where they were going with Tony Storm, and now that they're kind of solidifying that a little bit, that's uh, really interesting and, for me, really good. So I'm about this. I enjoyed this match. I enjoyed the uh, the events after the match. Uh, a lot of good stuff coming from this uh, women's triple threat match. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, Kinder Kelly, yeah, she's great. She's a huge star. I think she should be the champion, and I hope that's where this ends. Um because how you know Tony Storm is obviously beloved by WWE. They want to use her a lot. Great, more power to them. Please go off and be happy together. Because yeah, I would rather I would rather have Killer Kelly uh, in the forefront of WXW if all things being equal. Mm-hmm, and, uh, uh, yeah. Just want to reiterate, Faye Jackson, first time seeing her. Apparently, one of her first, uh, I think her first ever like European tour actually. <laughs> so this show and this, these events that she's apparently doing, and she looked really awesome here. A very good first showing uh, for her, I thought, in my eyes. So, yeah, really good overall. Yeah, absolutely so. Uh, we'll move right along the card to the third match. We have JFK taking on Rise, Pete Bouncer, and Ivan Kiev. And I really just, I got go, I got one question. Who is more handsome, Pete Bouncer or Francis Kasman? I, that I is honestly a don't know. Very hard question. Because they are both, both of those men gorgeous are. people in like different ways. But man, I I love both of them. They are so good. But uh, for me, the ultimate star of this match ended up being Ivan Kiev, oh. who had I thought one of like the single greatest hot tag sequences like put to paper. I don't know. He just came off like a house of fire when he got the hot tag. He was doing ridiculous things. That man has some ups you, you see the way he like does like leg drops and leg lariats coming off the top rope that man's got some ups he is a ridiculous i think the reason i like him so much like i've come to really like ivan kiev is that he basically wrestles the way a lanky guy should like he's got the right kicks for that sort of body type he just you know he just comes off like he understands like what he's what he is capable of and he just does it really well with like the pele kicks the uh the, the roundhouse kicks, the, you know, diving leg lariats and all that sort of stuff. He's got that cool, like, weird, like, scoop slam face buster thing that he does. I don't know. I, I just am just, you know, over the moon with uh, Ivan Kiev. Uh, not to say that anybody else did poorly in this match. Of course, JFK is here. JFK is always doing everything super well. Francis Caspin is a star in the making. Mm-hmm. Jay Skillet is so, so good at kind of the butt monkey role, but also just being the really obnoxious... Uh, <laughs> Uh, like Bully as well. He's really good in both of those scenarios. Pete Bouncer, um, I, he just he's got something to him, man. Like I don't know. I I really like Rise. I really like JFK. The fact that they had a match together was great in here. But 
I could talk for days on end about uh, Ivan Kiev's performance in this match. It was just so good and really elevated this to really just one of my favorite matches on this card. I had one heck of a time with it. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah, stuff. very fun match. Um, this was a super great card in general, actually. I'd say every match was uh, at minimum good, and most of them honestly were great, I thought. Um, this is another one in that sequence, so big fan, big fan. It was done very well. Indeed. Um, we get to the match that I was anticipating the most uh, on the card. It is Walter taking on Veit Mueller. They do one of their really, really good video packages showing how Veit Mueller has fought his way up the ranks, trying to prove he's worthy of ring comp, and how uh, Walter seems to be the one holdout who is not convinced, who, who has berated him in the past, and who has uh, kind of held back his praise. Um, this match... This was a beautiful match, honestly, I thought. There's tremendous struggle in all of it. It really feels earned every time somebody gets an advantage. Vite getting an advantage on Walter is exciting because he's this young guy who's, like, fighting to show that he's worthy. Walter taking the advantage back is great because he's just monstrous and his offense is the best in the world. I got chills up my spine at one point in this match where they're, like, battling on the top rope. They're trying to get control and just, like, uh, apropos of nothing, basically, the crowd, the hometown crowd of Veit Mueller, basically stands up to a man. Like, every person in the whole arena stands up and is just going nuts for Veit Mueller. Man, it, it felt like there was such weight on this match. Like, it, it made such a huge difference who was going to win this match. And that that's what I love about WXW. It feels like these matches have consequences. These characters have meaning and depth. Oh, man. I, I had a wonderful time with this. I'll just say right now, this this is my new match of the year, I think. Yeah, this good. is absolutely... If it does not end up in a top five match of the year contenders list, there, was, there had to have been some amazing matches on the way to the end of the year because this was... I, I don't know where to even, you know, start with this thing. This was, an, first off, just an absolute star-making performance for Veit Muller. Agreed. Just, he did not come across like he was outmatched by Walter. He came in there and he felt very much like, you know, you know, no one is going to necessarily match Walter, but he very much felt like he was game for this match, like he came in there with a plan, like he came there in there and, like, earned everything he got in this match, I thought he looked phenomenal. There was a great sequence where I think he ends up, uh, looks like Walter's going to like power bomb him and he ends up turning it into a Frankensteiner, uh, before like, I think he gets like chopped and then absolutely mows down Walter with a lariat. That just like, I thought that was going to be the finish. I straight up was like, Oh my God, he just, he just did it. Oh my God. Um, every time Walter would get back on offense, it was brutal. At one point he hit like a, Maybe, like, the most jaw-dropping uh, shotgun dropkick I've ever seen. I thought mm. he killed White Muller uh, with that one. Uh, kind of like the same way I thought he killed uh, David Starr with a lariat a few years back when we saw that match. And I was like, oh, he just actually murdered that man. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, just both guys looked incredible. White Muller fought for every inch. He fought tooth and nail and you could feel it you could feel the arena wanting him to win this was in his hometown of hamburg a local boy trying to get into ring comp taking on almost inarguably at this point the best wrestler in the world today 
in Walter. And he got so painfully close with everybody behind him, with his family, with his friends, with his hometown cheering him on. He hit Walter with a back suplex, and he hit Walter with a German suplex, and you thought that might be it. He might have actually done it. And yet he just... He was up against Walter. As hard as he tried, as hard as he did it, he's just... He doesn't have as much experience. He doesn't have as much strength. He doesn't have as much imposing just energy that Walter does. And he came up just, just short of victory. And it was marginally painful because you were just... At least I was. I was so convinced Mike Muller had this. Unfortunately, he did not. And yet, he was elevated by coming so close and yet not getting it. I think maybe even more elevated than he would have been by winning this match, potentially arguably, but if he didn't earn Walter's respect in that match, it would have been mind-blowing because that guy worked his ass off. He made everybody in that arena follow him and believe in him, and it was just, this is a spectacular match genuinely spectacular walter is great you know about that we have sung this man's praises since 2017 about how good this guy is about how impactful he makes his offense look about you know how much he does for his opponents you know you you know all of that you are aware of all of that veit muller just like i said a star making performance for him fought tooth and nail genuinely came across as if he was going to topple Walter at multiple points. This was this was great. And in the end, you knew he had Walter's respect. Walter attempts to uh, walk off. The fans boo this heavily. Walter comes back in. It looks like they might be shaking hands. You know, it might be finally time for Weitmuller to enter in as kind of the ring coffee young boys, the newest member of the group. But not quite. Because someone, not quite, because someone comes out interrupts all these affairs. And who was that man, Ms. Van? Who was it that came out and may have accidentally prevented Weitmuller from getting into ring count? Who was it? <laughs> it was none other than David Starr. He wants Walter at 16 carat. But if I'm not mistaken, were, was the, were they not talking on commentary at one point earlier in the night that everyone is assuming Walter is in 16 carat? But it's not actually officially been confirmed yet. Was that not a point of conversation at one point? I don't remember if that that might have been, but I've definitely seen Walter advertised for 16 Carat. I've seen, like, any piece of 16 Carat about this year has involved all three members of Ring Comp currently (laughs) that I've seen. Uh, We know Axel Dieter is in there. Timothy Thatcher is in there. I've seen Walter in there, so I'm... uh, I don't know if I'm necessarily assuming or if I know, but it does definitely seem like Walter is in 16 carat. So, yeah, that's we shall assume so. Um, but yeah, but if it's not, I think that'd actually be interesting as well. That you know, Mm -hmm. he came out there and said, you know, one of my opponents is going to be Walter, and it's going to be my first round opponent. So even if he isn't in 16 carat, the idea that David Starr literally put him in there so he could fight him in the first round might honestly be just as, if not more compelling on a uh, theoretical level. So yeah, yeah. either way, I think that's that that was a cool call-out for David Starr. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Starr-Walter rivalry has been one of my favorite things in the last couple of years. So yeah, to see it reignite, I was just saying uh, on a recent show that I would love to see that uh, kind of come back again. 
Uh, and now, yeah, here it is. So very cool. I uh, just want to say again, yeah, how much do I love this match? Um, I, if you said I missed it, I think one of my favorite parts of the match, besides everyone standing up for Vite to a man, and that's still so cool, but also Walter, at one point, um, Vite has, uh, has him in the, uh, the figure four. He's trying to apply it, and Walter uses the exact same counter that beat Vite Mueller, uh, in the tag match that he uh-huh. was teaming with Walter, and that, that was just such an incredible moment. I, I love that so much. That was great. Just, just great continuity that WXW basically always provides in a lot of their big matches. It's just, God, this was such a good match. This was such a good match. I am just over the moon about this one in particular. Vite Miller looked great. Walter looked great. A genuine match of the year contender, if not the outright match of the year right now. Go watch it. WXW dead end. Vite Miller versus Walter. Just put your eyeballs on it and enjoy it. Absolutely. Yep. Like I said, my new match of the year. It's that good. Um, we follow this up with uh, Lucky Kid taking on Demac. Demac's return to Hamburg after being banned two years ago or so by uh, by Bobby Guns, losing that match, coming back to his own hometown. No heroes welcome, though, because Demac has done terrible things since that time. He's become a completely different person. Um, yeah, this, this was a, a match that um, I... Uh, it was really good. It was a great match, honestly, overall, especially kind of by the end. Uh, in the early parts, I wasn't sure if it was going to get there or not. I think it really escalated well, though. And, um, yeah, it was very cool. You had some great stuff. You got Kid doing a really nutty senton out to the floor at one point. Uh, Demag doing some of his stuff. I, a lot of good stuff in this. I, I thought it was very uh, entertaining. Yes, indeed. It eventually got to a really solid point, I believe. Uh, this was kind of... I expected a lot out of this match, and I think early on it wasn't quite quite getting there, but uh, there was some, you know, I thought in general they did a really good job of kind of portraying um, Damak and Lucky Kid as kind of knowing what each other was going to do at various points, because mm-hmm. there were times where Lucky Kid would kind of go to do, you know, his Lucky Kid things, you know, bouncing off the ropes and sitting down and or try to being his sort of annoying self to get under the skin of his opponents. But uh, there were lots of times where Demac, essentially, you know, having teamed with him in Rise for, you know, a fairly lengthy period of time and being a guy who maybe, you know, you know, teamed with him and then fought him for a few months. You know, he felt like, you know, a guy who knows what Lucky Kid is about and what Lucky Kid is going to do and tried to counter some of that stuff. Unfortunately for him, couldn't quite do it all the time because Lucky Kid is Lucky Kid. Um, this was a fun one. Uh, it eventually got to a point where they started just kind of getting high octane. Uh, the Mac hit a couple of cutters in this match that were looking really good. Um, Lucky Kid, you know, turned on the engines towards the end and eventually does indeed pick up the, not the tap out, but the pass out submission victory, applying the, uh, I don't know if they call it the Rebel Lock because it used to be, uh, uh, Bad Bones' submission finisher, now I guess uh, sort of taken over by Lucky Kid, but he locks in the crossface. Mac uh, cannot answer the count, cannot do anything about it, ends up passing out, and finally, Lucky Kid has apparently uh, exercised all his demons. He got his revenge on Tarkin Aslan, now he's finally gotten his revenge on Damac. Um, mm-hmm. At the end, Pete Bouncer and Ivan Kiev come out and celebrate with him. Everybody's really happy, they're doing the rise pose together and 
yeah, now hopefully this will mean that uh, I don't know if it's will be necessarily at or around 16 karat gold, but hopefully in the future, now Lucky Kid can set his sights on either the shotgun or maybe even the WXW World Championship and try to get him one of those belts because he deserves it. Absolutely so. Um, proved it a lot with his stuff last year, and I think only solidified that in this match because, man, Lucky Kid is really good. Lucky Kid, he, he was in... Oh, this was Demac's homecoming return. Homecoming return to Hamburg, his hometown, and maybe in some other situation, some other scenario, even as a heel, maybe he comes back and gets a lot of a uh, love for you know being able to return to Hamburg. But he can't get it, not only because he is a bad person, but he's in there in the ring with I think arguably maybe like the third or fourth most popular wrestler in. All of WXW, counting, you know, Ilya Dragunov, Bobby Guns, and Walter, maybe the third most popular, fourth most popular guy in there is Lucky Kid. Everybody loves him. Everybody's supporting him. And it just, today was not going to be the day for Demac in any sort of scenario. So, sorry. Mm-hmm. Ends up picking up the loss. Demac wins, or Lucky Kid wins. Good stuff. Yeah, very good stuff. Uh, we move on to our main event, which is Absolute Andy and Marius Alani taking on Bobby Guns and Ilya Dragunov. And uh, depending on which team wins, either Marius or Guns will take on Absolute Andy for the title over 16 karat gold weekend. I gotta say, I was looking at this match uh, before it started, and I'm like, man, we've had so many great matches, like legitimately great matches on this card, and we still have these four guys left over at the end. Holy crap, WXW is so unbelievably stacked, and it's not because their roster is just inherently better than everyone else's. I mean, they do have a very talented roster, and they they deserve all credit for that. But WXW is such a great company for making people feel like stars, for making them feel like a big deal, for showcasing them in a way where you can make a huge block of guys on the top level feel really important, feel like they deserve to be in that spot. And that that is so super cool. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that they made even one more guy on this show invite Muller. They just continued to mm-hmm. add to their, you know, roster of impressive, interesting, you know, well-booked, well-thought-out, well-fleshed-out characters and competitors in WXW. So the fact that we got to this match with four of WXW's absolute best talents, you know, and we got there without, you know, having a really any any match that was bad. We didn't have a single match that was bad up to this point. Period. Um, all of them were, as Ms. Fan said earlier, at minimum good, and lots of them great. And that was with you know a lot of. Not necessarily the WXW's quote-unquote lesser guys, but, you know, they're lower-card guys. They're tag-team workers. They're women's workers. They're, you know, mid-card workers. And they were all really good, really thought-out matches, really well-put-together matches involving characters that you wanted to see wrestle, whether you wanted to root for them or boo them. Um, It didn't matter. They were just – they're all just high-quality, well-put-together. Once again, if not just competitors, then actual characters with fleshed-out motivations and storylines and things that they're fighting for and reasons that they're fighting. And I cannot say enough about how WXW has put together its rosters and its shows and its storylines, because they are just all essentially working together to create one well-oiled machine 
in WXW, and I love it. I cannot say I cannot sing enough praises about WXW and its a uh, roster in general because it's just so good, so quality. Absolutely. So um, this match lives up to all the the great stuff we've been saying about the people involved. Four incredibly talented performers. Each one of them easily could be the world champion at any given time, and people would be just, I think, as excited. Uh, about any of them on any mm-hmm. level. Um, uh, I I was a little worried because I, I kind of turned around on this by the end of the match, but I, I was worried a little with Bobby Guns. I was worried that as great as he is, the face turn has kind of fumbled him a little. The, the losses to Shigeru Irie fumbled him a little. And I don't know. I think time will tell if that is the case or not because there were times in this match where I wasn't feeling him as much as I used to. But then by the end, uh, it was kind of like right back to where it was because it was super hot for Bobby Guns by the end. So maybe it's just like a momentary thing. Uh, I'm really hoping so. I love Bobby Guns. I think there's a good chance he will be the next world champion of WXW. So I hope he's as hot as he can possibly be. I think what really helped in this match was he – Generally, I think he could have been outshone by anybody in this match. Um, just because, not because he, you know, Bobby Guns is bad in any sense, but because he's in there with Absolute Andy and Marius Alani on one side, two guys who have a lot of history together as a four, um, two guys who are individually just really talented and high quality competitors who do a lot of things really well and could very easily have overshadowed him. And he's also teamed with Ilya Dragunov who might be one of the hottest stars in the world of professional wrestling today, who within the last two years has skyrocketed up WXW's roster to be becoming, you know, maybe the guy who, you know, outside of Walter might be the actual identity of WXW, the the poster child, the the face of the company, and Ilya Dragunov, um, who, you know, in and of himself is a world-class talent in every sense of that phrase. Um, and he could have, I think, very easily ultimately ended up outshone by all of these dudes. And he was not. He worked uh, really well in this match. I thought his work, his teamwork with Ilya was really great in general. Like, they looked like a very fun, well-oiled machine at multiple times in this match. I think the one spot that really... uh at least one of the spots that really did it for me was just really early on in the match. Absolute Annie is going for a uh, double choke slam on uh, Guns and Dragunov. And Guns, you know, he does the finger break thing. And he you know, pulls back Andy's finger and, you know, snaps it. And then uh, Ilya sort of escapes his goozle and hits him with a back chop. And it was just like a great way to see, you know, the way both guys think and operate. And they were just – they had each other's back like all the way through this match. You know, this was despite the fact – that um, you know, not too long ago, heck, at the last one of the last shows they did, the uh, sixteen carat uh, road to sixteen carat show in London, they were facing off against one another, and you know that that didn't seem to have any effect on them. They were just working as a tandem. They were doing a lot of really good stuff. Um, one of the coolest spots in this match, I thought, was what ultimately ends up being a, uh, I guess, a double German suplex. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's super where, cool. Uh, he's got, uh, I think it's uh, Marius Alani is posing, um, and Absolute Annie is behind him. 
Bobby Guns grabs Andy. Andy grabs Marius. They're all running around the ring. They're trying to you know, get themselves un- untangled from this situation. They're down by the ropes trying to separate themselves. Ilya Dragunov runs in with a 619, separates uh, Alani from the ropes, and then Bobby Guns hits the double German suplex on both dudes. Um, yeah, in general, it really felt like um, Ilya was here to ensure that Bobby Guns won. This wasn't just, you know, uh, on one side, it might have been, you know, Andy's fighting for himself and Alani is fighting for himself to try to get themselves either out of this situation in Andy's case or get him his title shot in Alani's case. But this genuinely felt like, um, especially by the end of it, that Ilya Dragunov was here to ensure that Bobby Guns got his title shot. And by the end, it really kind of felt like uh, Ilya was kind of passing the torch. and was like, well, if I can't take on Andy... If I can't be the guy to take this title from him, then Bobby Guns, you got to be the one to do it. And I'm giving you all of my support in that goal. And I think that's what really helped um, a lot by the end of this match was Bobby Guns felt like the focal point of his tag team in a tag team that included Ilya Dragunov, you know, which, you know, it's kind of hard to overshadow that dude as the important factor in anything, but... That's really what it ended up feeling like to me. This match was a lot of fun. Everybody worked really hard and did a lot of cool stuff in this match. A lot of great, you know, individual sequences, a lot of great team sequences. Um, yeah, in the end, I had a blast with this one. And like I said, I really think um, just with the way Ilya Dragunov ended up working in this match, especially towards the end, it really, really helped put uh, Bobby Guns over and really made it appear like as you said, he may very well be the next world champion of WXW, and it will have been well-deserved, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely so. Great finish, and I really liked uh, what happened after the match as well. Bobby Guns is super fired up. He gets on the mic. Absolutely, and he's sort of still creeping around, but Bobby Guns, you know, is, is, knows he's there. Comes in, his brother is supporting him. Gunn says uh, he's going to retire Andy, he's going to bury him, he's going to take the gold, all this stuff. He's he's hyped up, he's ready, but he wasn't ready for what absolute Andy would do. And he should have been, because he's done it before. But Andy turns around, he attacks Bobby Gunn's brother, and uh, he heads for the hills. And uh, yeah, so I don't know, maybe that will be the weak spot again in Bobby Gunn's uh, uh, armor, because Andy has used... His brother against him before, so that's uh, that's mm-hmm. quite interesting to me. In fact, I thought Andy, in particular, he had only not that he not only had that moment after the match, but during the match, um, when Andy had a submission hold locked in on uh, Marius Alani, and it looked like he might you know eventually get the victory over him. Suddenly, the bell starts ringing. Um, both guys sort of celebrate on the other team. And the referee, Cecil Young, is like, I didn't call for the bell. That was not me. Turn around, and sure enough, what had happened? Absolute Andy had tried to save his team by artificially ringing the bell, um, trying to get the match to either end or just getting them to break their holds and stop what they were doing. Andy is just a absolute genius, and one of these days, it's going to come back and bite him in the ass, and it might very well be at uh, 16 karat gold night two, win this match between him and Bobby Guns happens. But also knowing him and his Weasley ways, it just might not. He might just 
be he might have something up his sleeve, might have one more trick to pull to get a victory over Bobby Guns, and that's what I think is so compelling right now is that I genuinely do not know when these two face off who is actually going to win. I'm thinking it's going to be Bobby Guns. I think this is when his coronation is going to happen. He's finally going to win the uh, WXW Unified World Wrestling Championship. But I also would not be surprised in the least if Andy found one more way, one more way, one more night, one more victory to uh, retain his championship. And if he does, I will not be mad in the least. So good, you know, in this, in general, this match was really, really good, really awesome, great way to end Dead End, and it sets up what is to be a compelling and absolutely high quality match between Absolute Andy the Champion and his challenger, the King of Smoke style, Bobby Guns. Looking forward to it. Indeed. Very good stuff. I can't wait to see more WXW. I think the next show's already up, so we may well cover it next week. But uh, please keep an eye out for that. I think that is everything we want to talk about on this show. Anything else you got, my friend? I do have one thing to talk about. One thing and one thing only before we go home, because this... uh, Before we decided on covering Impact this week, one of the things that I was slated to do was to look up some stuff on Dragon Gate's network to see what we could watch uh, from this year, because they've apparently had, you know, quite a few things. They had a sort of rookie league between their youngest guys. Um, They had a couple of matches where KZ got elevated to uh, taking on Dreamgate champion Pac. I think before then he had a triple threat match against Yamato and Naruki Doi as well. Um, He had that up. Apparently a genuine match of the year contender with Pac um, for the Dreamgate Championship. You know, there's been you know quite a few shows that have gone on in Dreamgate this year, and apparently a lot of uh, fairly compelling things are happening in DG. Go on to the Dragongate Network to uh, find these things, and wouldn't it be my luck that they are not there, not on the network? Um, they were on the network, but only for a week. If you can watch uh, the live tapings or the live showings of their stuff, and after a week they're gone before uh, Gayora can do their editing into Infinity episodes, and I just have to say that really, really, really sucks. <laughs> like it is just miserable, especially for trying to do it for this podcast. Because um, we have so much that we're trying to watch in general, a lot of companies that we're trying to follow, a lot of promotions that are doing very interesting and good things. So we're not always able to immediately get to things you know, as they happen or right after they happen. So because of that, you know, something being up for only a week, like from the moment it happens to the week afterwards, literally seven calendar days um, before it disappears from the internet forever until – uh, Gaora decides. Gaora decides to upload it again. It's just, it's not, it's not good. It's not a, I don't think a very feasible way to upload and have your stuff. I don't know what needs to change to fix that, to potentially make it last two or three weeks, if not a month, if not just simply having whatever got shown and just keeping it on the network. I don't know why you can't do that, but something needs to change. Right now, I'm paying. Uh, they're getting rid of their light plan. So now it's only the uh, the fifteen dollar a month um, uh, premium plan, which I guess will now just be the plan for Dragon Gate. And I have to say, 
I am genuinely considering maybe dropping that and us having to scroll through uh, Russian YouTube because that seems to be a genuinely better way to get your product other than Dragon Gate Network. It's better than Dragon Gate Network because the stuff doesn't vanish after a week. This is it's it's not it's not good. Dragon Gate. I don't know if you're listening. I don't know if anybody is listening, but as a guy who has 20 other promotions and things that he follows. Um, this methodology of uploading is not good, and I would, as a huge fan for years of Dragon Gate, would like to find some better way to do this. It's we're almost we're almost three months in, we're almost two complete months into the third month of 2019, and when I checked, other than one Prime Gate episode or, or Prime Zone episode, I should say Prime Zone episode from January. Nothing else from January or February has actually made it to the uh, network, um, other than the live tapings, which once again disappear after a week. Change that, please. I am begging you. Indeed, yeah. It's uh, one of the worst methods of, yeah, no, it's just Distribution really that I have ever seen. <laughs> it's really terrible. <laughs> Oh, man. So, yes, we will hope that they will fix that up. We'll be able to cover some Dragon Gate uh, in good faith soon. Um, so that's really up to them, though. So, Dragon Gate, please get your crap together. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. That is everything. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, please shout us out on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. He's at BigDefEnergy, B-I-G-D-E-F Energy. Also, check out the other great programs on uh, LOPR and lordsofpain.net and lopforums.com for a lot of great written material. That is everything for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we have been the Global Revolution. See ya.